Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 46 The Pledge of God's Pleasure, Beatur Ridwan the Messenger of God, peace be upon him, spent the month of Ramadan and Shawwal in Medina, and in the month of Dhulqadeh set out to Mecca to perform the lesser pilgrimage. He did not have any intention of entering any conflict. In his dream he had seen himself and his companions entering the Kaaba, some with their heads shaved, some with their hair cut, safe and not fearing anyone. The biographers state that the dream was the reason why the Prophet ordered people to prepare to go to Mecca for Umrah. He was accompanied by both the emigrants and the Ansar, driven by the longing to see the Kaaba, their greatest shrine, after they had been prevented from it for full six years. The Prophet tried to encourage the other Arab and the neighboring Bedouin tribes to join them on that journey because of a risk that Quraysh might do something unpleasant. Around 1,500 people set on the journey, their only weapon being sheathed swords, a customary weapon of travelers at that time. They took along sacrificial animals, kurban, camels, and sheep, and in the place called Dhul Hulayfa, the Prophet put on an ihram, two white seamless pieces of cloth worn by pilgrims. In that way, he demonstrated that he only wanted to visit a Kaaba and pay his respects, and that he had no intention of waging war. But when Quraysh heard that the Prophet was on his way to Mecca, the news disturbed them, and they sent a word that they would not allow the Muslims to enter Mecca. The Prophet ordered all his fellow travelers to make a stop at Hudaybiyah, a place close to Mecca. Quraysh sent Urwa ibn Mas'ud to negotiate with the Prophet. When he returned, he told them that Muhammad and his companions really only wanted to make a pilgrimage and that they were ready to conclude a peace pact with him. He also informed them about the great respect and love that the companions showed to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Quraysh did not accept it, and Muhammad sent his son-in-law Uthman ibn Affan to Mecca to explain to Quraysh the purpose of their journey from Medina. Uthman stayed in Mecca longer than expected, which fueled a rumor among the Muslims that he had been killed. When the news reached the Prophet, he exclaimed, We shall not leave this place before we square accounts with them. He immediately called the Muslims to pledge allegiance to him that they were ready to fight and die on the way of God. This pledge is known in the history of Islam as the Pledge of God's Pleasure, Beyatur Ridvan, or the Pledge of the Tree, as it was made in the shade of a tree. The Noble Quran refers to it in verse 18 of Surah 48, Triumph. God was pleased with the believers when they swore allegiance to you under the tree. He knew what was in their hearts, and so he sent tranquility down to them and rewarded them with a speedy triumph.
And in verse 10 of the same surah, God commands the ones who made the pledge. Those who pledge loyalty to you, Prophet, are actually pledging loyalty to God Himself. God's hand is placed on theirs, and anyone who breaks His pledge does so to his own detriment. God will give a great reward to the one who fulfills His pledge to Him. Soon afterward, the Prophet learned that the news Uthman's murder was false, but the swearing of allegiance at that moment and that place close to Mecca yielded a result. Quraysh agreed to conclude a treaty. Peace Treaty at Hudaybiyah when Quraysh heard that the companions swore allegiance to the Prophet, they got very scared, as they had seen in the previous battles that the Muslims could be very tough fighters. They decided to conclude a treaty under the condition that the Prophet and the Muslims should return to Medina that year, but come to Mecca for the lesser pilgrimage the following year. They proposed that they withdrew from Mecca for three days to let the Muslims perform the pilgrimage and that the Muslims should be armed with travelers' weapons only. Quraysh sent Suhail ibn Amr as the negotiator. When the Prophet saw him approaching, he told the companions, The fact that they have sent these men means they want peace. When Suhail came to the Prophet, he spoke at length, whereupon they embarked on the drafting of a peace treaty. The treaty they concluded contained the following clauses. The first. The Prophet shall return to Medina and will not enter Mecca this year, and next year he will come with the Muslims and stay in Mecca for three days. The Muslims will be allowed to be armed then, but only with arms of a traveler, that is, with swords in sheets. Quraysh must not make any obstacles to them in that period. The second. War activities shall be suspended for ten years, during which period people will be safe and not aggressive to one another. The third. Whosoever wishes to enter an alliance with Muhammad and honor this treaty may do so. Likewise, whosoever wishes to ally with Quraysh may do so. A tribe that enters an alliance with one side shall be considered a part of that side, and every attack on the allied tribe shall be treated as an attack on the whole side. The fourth. If anyone of Quraysh goes over to Muhammad without his guardian's permission, that is, flee from Quraysh in Mecca to Medina, should be sent back to Mecca. Should any of Muhammad's followers flee to Quraysh, they shall not be obliged to send them back to Medina. After the treaty was concluded, the Prophet peace be upon him ordered the companions to take off their pilgrimage attire and slaughter the sacrificial animals they had brought along. They did not heed the order immediately because of the great grief they felt for having been prevented from entering Mecca and the terms of the treaty that really went down hard with them. They found the last clause of the treaty to be particularly painful and hardly acceptable.
One event that occurred before the very singing of the treaty only made the matters worse. Suhail's own son, Abu Jando, suddenly appeared at Hudaybiyah in fetters. He had embraced Islam earlier, but his father had not allowed him to emigrate to Medina and started mistreating him instead. Before setting off to Hudaybiyah, Suhail had even fettered him to prevent him from getting to the Muslim camp, which was within the reach of Mecca. However, Abu Jandal managed to escape and arrived at Hudaybiyah at the very moment the peace treaty was concluded. The moment Suhail saw Abu Jandal, he sprang toward him and slapped him fiercely, grabbed him by his chest and started dragging him. Muhammad, shouted Suhail, the pact between the two of us had been entered before this one came to you. The Prophet confirmed it, which encouraged Suhail, who started pulling and dragging his son in order to take him back to Quraysh's side. Abu Jandal cried from the top of his lungs, O Muslims, am I to be returned to the idolaters to make me apostatize? This was another blow to the companions, and the Prophet said, Abu Jandal, pull yourself together and have patience. Allah will surely give relief and a way out to you and everyone oppressed like you. We have concluded peace treaty with these people, and we have taken the pledge in the name of God, as they did, and we shall not breach it. The Prophet noticed that the companions were somewhat reluctant to take off their pilgrimage clothes, but he did not order them again to do it. He entered the tent of his wife, Ummu Salama, who accompanied him on that journey. He told her he was afraid to repeat the order, lest they should fail to obey it again and be punished by Allah. She advised him to be the first one to take his ihram off, get out in front of them, shave his head off and slaughter an animal. The Prophet did so, and when the companions saw what he was doing, they all did the same. The Prophet's manner with his companions is an example of an excellent methodical approach that can be useful for all educators. Some seers read that after he had shaved his head off, the Prophet collected his luxuriant black hair and threw it over a nearby mimosa tree. Having seen it, the companions crowded around in order to take what they could of Allah's Prophet's hair for its blessing. The famous female companion, Umm Umara, who was also present when the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was being concluded, was not outdone by the men. She also approached the tree and snatched some locks of the Prophet's hair, which she treasured until her dying day. The seeress make no mention that the Prophet peace be upon him prohibited it to the companions, which is a proof that it is permitted to seek God's blessing with something related to God's messenger. Significance of the Peace Treaty at Hudaybiyah the peace treaty at Hudaybiyah produced a multitude of benefits. 
The exalted Allah revealed to his prophet Surah 48, Triumph, while he was returning from Hudaybiyah on the road between Mecca and Medina. At the very opening of the Surah, Allah announces an imminent triumph to the prophet. Truly, we have opened up a path to clear triumph for you, Prophet, so that God may forgive you your past and future sins, complete His grace upon you, guide you to a straight path, and help you mightily. It was He who made His tranquility descend into the hearts of the believers to add faith to their faith. The forces of the heavens and earth belong to God. He is all-knowing and all-wise, so as to admit believing men and women into gardens graced with flowing streams, there to remain, absolving their bad deeds, a great triumph in God's eyes, and to torment the hypocritical and idolatrous men and women who harbor evil thoughts about God. It is they who will be encircled by evil, who carry the burden of God's anger, whom God has rejected, and for whom he has prepared hell, an evil destination. The forces of heaven and earth belong to God. He is almighty and all-wise. The 48th chapter, verses from 1 to 7. With respect to the dream of Allah's Messenger, peace be upon him, which was the actual cause of the journey that ended at Hudaybiyah, Allah revealed, God has truly fulfilled his Messenger's vision. God willing, you will most certainly enter the sacred mosque in safety, shaven-headed or with cropped hair, without fear. God knew what you did not, and He has granted you a speedy triumph. The 48th chapter, verse 27 These verses announced a certain and imminent victory of Islam and Muslims. Some Islamic scholars even think that the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was actually the clear triumph referred to in the opening of Surah 48. In that respect, Imam al-Zuhri, a great scholar from the second generation of Muslims, says, Islam had not known a greater victory before that. Until then, clashes would always occur wherever people met. After that armistice, when war finally stopped, and when people no longer feared one another, but actually talked things over in case of misunderstanding or verbal arguments, whenever Islam was presented to anyone who had any capacity to think and understand, that one embraced it. In those two years, the number of Muslims doubled, even surpassed that number. Commenting on Imam al-Zuhri's words, Ibn Hisham wrote in his sirah, These words of al-Zuhri's are also confirmed by the fact that God's messenger was at Hudaybiyah with around 1,400 people, according to Jabir ibn Abdullah, whereas two years after that, during the liberation of Mecca, he was accompanied by 10,000 people. The armistice with Quraysh in Mecca enabled the Muslims to turn their attention to the treats coming from the north. 
The greatest threat came from Hyber, a place populated by the Jews, who were notorious for their intense hatred for Islam. Hyber was a large oasis 100 miles north of Medina, in the direction of Al-Sham. The inhabitants of Hyber were very rich, and their community was probably among the richest in the whole Arabia. As the Jews had shown breach of agreements and failure to honor written treaties, for example in the Battle of the Trench, they violated a pact with the Prophet and sided with his enemy at the most difficult moment for the Muslims. It was necessary to make the nascent state safe from their perfidiousness and scheming. For that reason, in the second half, on the month of Muharram, the seventh Anoah Hijrai, immediately after the treaty with Quraysh was concluded, the Prophet decided to lead a campaign on Hyber. He led 1,600 troops, 200 of whom were horsemen. Although Hyber was well fortified, it soon fell into the Muslims' hands, and they took hold of abandoned spoils. The taking of Hyber was also heralded in Surah 48, revealed immediately after the Hudaybiyah events. He has promised you many future gains. He has hastened this gain for you. He has held back the hands of hostile people from you as a sign for the faithful, and he will guide you to a straight path. The 48th chapter, verse 20. In that way, the Muslim community gained economic strength, which paved the way for new campaigns. The truce with Quraysh also made it possible for the Prophet to send letters to the rulers of the neighboring kingdoms and empires. The biographers agree that it happened in early Muharram, the seventh year in Ahidrai, several days prior to the beginning of the Hyber campaign. In those letters, the Prophet, peace be upon him, called the rulers of the leading states and empires of the time to embrace Islam and conveyed to them the chief message of his prophetic mission. La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is a messenger of Allah. The letters were dispatched to the Abyssinian king or the Negus, Persian emperor Chosros, Byzantine emperor Heraclius, the governor of Alexandria or the Mukaukis, and the rulers of the neighboring Arab countries, Yamama, Bahrain, and Oman. Although these rulers did not answer positively, save for the Abyssinian king who secretly converted to Islam, and the Alexandrian ruler who did not convert to Islam, but did send a fine answer to Muhammad and gifts. The importance of the sending of these letters is enormous, as it meant a confirmation of the international character of Muhammad's prophethood. All of this was made possibly by the truce with Quraysh. There were also some other important events which were a result of that treaty. A peaceful communication among people, their encounters and conversations brought about new converts to Islam from the ranks of very prominent people from Mecca and beyond. Two of the new converts were particularly important. Khalid ibn al-Walid and Amr ibn al-As. 
both commanded great respect with courage. The former as an exceptionally brave and capable warrior and general, the latter as a man of superior intelligence and intuition. Professor Martin Links quotes a very interesting story about their conversion to Islam, which was a great benefit for the Muslim community. As reported earlier, the most painful aspect of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was that the Muslims had to send back those Muslims who arrived in Medina after the signing of the treaty. Since those persons defected to Medina because of the torture and persecution they had been exposed to in Mecca, their sending back to the pagans implied new tortures and horrific mistreatment. This really bothered the Muslims, but God's wisdom and providence solved that problem too. One day, after the signing of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, a Muslim named Abu Basir from the Thaqif tribe arrived in Medina. His family was originally from Taif, but lived in Mecca. After Abu Basir converted to Islam, he was harassed and mistreated in Mecca, and even imprisoned, but he succeeded in escaping. Under the terms of the treaty, Abu Basir was not to be sent back to Mecca. Quraysh were aware of it, so they sent two envoys to bring him back. The Prophet acted in line with the treaty and handed Abu Basir over to the envoys. Being a very resourceful man, at the first resting place, Abu Basir managed to get hold of a sword and he killed one Qurayshid envoy, while the other fled to Medina. Abu Basir was told that he could not stay in Medina, but that he should find himself another abode since the Prophet had to fulfill his obligation. He made his way to the shores of the Red Sea and was afterward joined by other young men who fled the mistreatment in the hands of the idolaters in Mecca, one of them being Abu Jandal, son of Suhail ibn Amr. Abu Basir made an encampment with them at a strategic point on the caravan route to Syria. They started raiding Quraysh caravans traveling to Al-Sham. Quraysh protested, but the Prophet answered that he complied with the terms of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and that those men were not in the territory of Medina. Quraysh soon became fed up with the situation, so they asked the Prophet for rescinding of the treaty clause, stipulating that the Muslims who fled Mecca should be sent back. The Prophet accepted it, and that issue of contention was thus resolved. We should also note some sorrowful events that took place after Hudaybiyah, such as the death of Abu Bakr's wife, Umm Ruman, anha, and two perfidious attempts by Jews to kill the Prophet, peace be upon him. The first took place immediately after the return from Hudaybiyah, in a very strange and secretive way, according to Martin Links. In every generation of the Jews in Arabia, there was someone skillful in the art of black magic, and one of these was a Jew named Labit, an expert sorcerer who had also instructed his daughters in the clandestine art, so that his own knowledge should not die with him. Labit was bribed to put as deadly a spell as he could upon the Prophet. For this purpose he needed several hairs of the Prophet's. 
when he received them, he tied eleven knots in them, and he and his daughters breathed imprecations upon each knot. Then he attached the hairs to a spring from a male date palm, which had on it the outer sheath of the pollen, and threw it into a deep well. The prophet was soon aware that something strange was happening to him. He began imagining that he had done things which in fact he had not. He was also overcome with weakness and could not eat. This lasted for a while. The prophet prayed to God to cure him, and in his sleep he was informed about the spell he was under and how to undo it. Two surahs of the Qur'an were revealed to him in this respect. Surah 113, Daybreak, and Surah 114, People. The Prophet said these two surahs were the two surahs of refuge, or the two protectors, al muavizatain He recommended that they be invoked whenever protection from evil was sought. They were recited when the spell cast by Labid on the Prophet was being undone. The second attempt at the Prophet's life happened during the Hyber campaign. After the fortresses of Hyber were taken, one Jewish woman roasted a sheep or a lamb, according to some traditions, which she had doused with poison beforehand. She particularly concentrated on the shoulders, as she had inquired and learned that the shoulder meat was the Prophet's favorite. She then brought the roast to the Muslim camp, and people started eating. The Prophet quickly spat out the peas he had put in his mouth, as he received a revelation that the meat was poisoned. According to some traditions, until his last breath, the Prophet peace be upon him felt pain and bitterness of the poison used in that perfidious Jewish assassination attempt. The Prophet did not take revenge on those who tried to kill him in either of these attempts, despite the manifest proofs, as the protagonists admitted their guilt in both cases. This is yet another indication of the Prophet's strong sense of compassion with all people, including the Jews, who constantly plotted against him ever since he had arrived in Medina and even planned his murder.